God once has spoken, I've heard the twofold never failing word that you, God, are my strong defender. Returning this afternoon to the grace of God, the love of God, as we have it in Romans chapter 5, page 1297. We're going to be focusing on verse 8, but here's uh, Romans, 7, uh, Romans 5. I'd like to read the first 11 verses. Hear the word of God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So take a look at verse 8. God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. After the sermon, we'll sing hymn 81. Brothers and sisters, loved by Jesus Christ, this has got to be one of your favorite verses. If you don't have a favorite verse in the Bible, maybe you should pick this one. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel in one line. And notice it's written to believers. It's written for those who know Jesus Christ, who have been justified by faith in God. Those who have been going through sufferings. This is written for the people in real life who've been going through tribulations, who need endurance, who need character and hope and joy. This afternoon, we're going back to the basics. Can you give the gospel in one line like this? That God loves Sinners, the salvation, God saves sinners, and he shows us his love, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to point out a few things this afternoon. First word would be purpose, the second word would be enemies, and the third word would be love. So purpose, enemies, and love. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You know what this verse is about? It's about God's love. And that's in so many words here. God shows this love. But do we know what that love is? Without a true sense of love, without knowing the height, the width, the depth of God's love, you could still be in darkness. You're stuck with your own righteousness, what we call self-righteousness, and you are thankless, you are restless, you're without peace if you do not know the love of God. So notice the direction here. The confident tone of verse 1, right? We, I didn't focus on that, but verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Assured, knowingly, He is pleased with you. I wonder, you just reflect on this. How many children, even years after you've left home, how many aren't, you, aren't struggling still for their father's approval? I just want him to accept me. Have you ever thought about that? Because the purpose here, that's the first word I was using, the purpose here is that you would be sure of God's approval. Not from nowhere, but approval by faith in Jesus Christ. He is good with you. He accepts you. Verse 2 then says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And you have this language of privileged access. I'm not sure if you have a way of imagining what that's like. Privileged access. For me, I, I hear this, I read that verse, and I immediately think of being in the airport way too early for my flight. I'm killing time. And so I walk down the corridors of the airport and I see these doors that say restricted access. And I wonder what's behind those doors. I imagine all the luxurious chairs, all the food, all the peace and the quiet in that lounge. But I'm not allowed in there. I don't have a card key. I don't have the membership. And they have all these signs that say, and you're not allowed here. You have no privileged access. Yet, what are we reading here in Romans 5? We have obtained access. And it's referring to the access you have to the throne of God. Think about prayer. Prayer is nothing less than having the audience of God Himself. You have obtained access by, how did, how did you get this? Your card key, how did you come across that? That you can pray and have access to the throne of God by faith. You have obtained access by faith into this grace in which you now stand. And you know all this probably, brothers and sisters, and after verse 5, it, it says if the Apostle Paul gets into this mode where you know all the right answers, you have peace with God, you have access, you have joy, you have hope, God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, you know it, God loves you, but do you get it? The purpose Let's confront your reality because life is not easy. The purpose, let's have that truth enter your suffering. 
Verse 3 refers to suffering, your need for endurance, for character, for hope. And you might know it, you hear that you're a child of God, but is that connected? And there's Satan accusing you, and the world's easily convincing you with its deception and its pleasures, and it's throwing you off track. And your joy is sucked out of you. You're discouraged. You're on empty. You're coasting through life, blown about by every wind of doctrine. You're weak and you're scared. The purpose then, at this point in Romans, is that you would be someone else, that you would know who you are in Christ, that you would have this great joy, that this fruit of the Spirit, joy, would show up. Doesn't everyone here need this joy? Let me know afterward if that's not you, like you don't need joy. Because I haven't met someone like that yet. Joy that endures with character and hope. So the stage, as as we get through Romans 5, at verse 8, the stage is set. The point that God demonstrates His love. You need it. I need to overflow with that love of God poured out into my heart. You need to know God's love. But there's a second thing I want to point out. God's enemies. How does God prove how loving He is? God loves His enemies. When I make this point, it's really too bad that we use the word love so carelessly. The world says love is love is love. Whatever. What we really need is a special word to demonstrate this awesome love of God. The world speaks of love and you have songs. I love the way you look. I love the way you make me feel. That's love on one level. You, you might love what people do for you. You love those who love you. Even the tax collectors do that, right? Jesus said, even the Gentiles do that, Matthew 5. They greet their own brothers. So how does God demonstrate His love for you? Try this. Love an enemy. Jesus says, while you were still, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sinners. That word sinner get lost on us, maybe? Maybe it sounds like somebody who's not quite perfect. But hang on. The Apostle Paul, just so you know, he uses words in parallel. A bunch of synonyms, like verse 6, the weak, the helpless, or the ungodly. Verse 7 gets you to think of the unrighteous. And so when you get to verse 10, you know, while we were still enemies, that's verse 8, the strongest we have. And I figure, maybe he's lost us. The Apostle Paul, when he says, while we were still enemies, sinners. Is that going too far? Have I hated God? Have I wished God were dead? Is that the kind of enemy in verse 10? While we were still ungodly, enemy sinners, that's 
when God first loved us. Step into the language. The Apostle Paul is writing this. Maybe you should think about somebody real like the Apostle Paul who has been estranged from God. Because he's referring to himself when he says, when we were still sinners. In his early years, how was he a sinner? Wasn't he a good guy? Religious, devoted, top of the line Pharisee. Obeyed the law so much. How was he a sinner? How was he an enemy? Hostile to God. Remember the parable the Lord Jesus had in Luke 15 about the two brothers. The parable of the prodigal son. Maybe the famous sinner is the one who just absolutely abandoned his family squandered his father's living. You might think of that as the kind of worst enemy. But what about the elder brother? The one who is really close to home, but far from his father. Has God so loved that kind of enemy? And so the Apostle Paul, he's a good picture of that older brother. He had his own righteousness. He thought of himself as good enough. Enemies of God have no need for righteousness in Christ. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not against God. God is just kind of handy if, in case I need Him one time. Enemies of God think they have no need of Jesus Christ or righteousness in Christ. That His blood would wash away their sins. That His Spirit would transform us, make us new. That's what an enemy is. It's like shrugging at God. So you have here the ungodly, you have the sinner, you have the enemy. They think they have peace with God because they're okay. Is that you? Think you're a good person? You've avoided being bad? You're a bit better than others. And God says to you, Philippians 3, that's all loss. And there's actually an unpleasant word there. That's all rubbish. It's cleaned up for you. Compared to knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, your self-righteousness makes you an enemy. So it's not like there is one kind of enemy sinner. You think of both brothers in the parable, the younger prodigal, or you think of the older one. You don't have to be the all out and out hater of God to be his enemy could be mild and unfriendly like avoiding Jesus Christ enemies of God don't seek his mercy they don't beg for compassion and forgiveness from God enemies of God can go a whole week without thinking of God now think back to that time while we were still sinners. There's a before and after. I hope you notice that in Romans 5 verse 8. While we were still sinners, there was that identity that you had. This is who you used to be. You couldn't get further from God. You were as undeserving as you could be. And then at that time, at the right time, verse 6 says, that's when God loved you. you know what God's love is? Pick the worst time in your life. When you were the most ungodly. 
And you say, God loved me then? Yeah. Now you're getting the gospel. Let's go to our third point here. Love. God's love. You, you've seen billboards, God loves you. It's not quite cutting it. Because this is the love of God. Something of the height and width and depth is that He looked on you in compassion when you were unlovable. Before you were ever nice to God. Before you were even inclined to even open your heart in faith. Before you were friendly. That's when He loved you. And this point is actually amazing. It's love on another level. A love from heaven. You don't find this on earth. That God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 But now verse 7. Romans, 8, uh, Romans 5 verse 7. It gives you a picture. It illustrates this. The difference between God's love and the love that you find on earth. It gets you to think of a bodyguard maybe, a secret service agent. Verse 7, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. By a stretch of the imagination, perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. Maybe, if you were a secret service agent, you would jump in the line of fire, you would take a bullet for someone who is really important. Husband, wouldn't you do that for your wife? That's the thing. Romans 5 makes us wonder, is it worth, is that person worth it? Before I do anything for them, is it worth it? Is it going to return to me? Why should I love that person is the first thing we think in human terms. But you want to know the gospel? God loved you while you were still enemies. You were not good enough. God's love is from another world. That He would die for His enemies. You were unlovable. You weren't even close to getting toward being lovable. While you were, as it were, like tossing hand grenades at Christ, He dies for you. This demonstrates God's love. Absolutely undeserved. An enemy deserves the opposite. He deserves wrath and death. But now this is love. You used to be a sinner. That's when Christ died for you. Now you're not a sinner. What does that mean for the kind of love God has for you now? Now that you're no longer called sinner, you're in this new identity. I hope you don't get over this. That you, I hope you don't think that this is normal. The very message that Christ took your place, the place of a sinner, to die instead of his enemy, to suffer God's almighty wrath, is God showing, I love you. Now what? Now that you're drawn in, now that you have access to the Father's throne, do you know this level of love? That he has loved a sinner, pulled that sinner near, and loves you who are in Christ. 
You see, this message clearly, it's got to change you. You have a new identity in Christ. You used to be a sinner, but now you're someone transformed by this love. Therefore, Paul speaks of joy. Life transformed. This gives birth to hope and to joy. You have peace with God. I hope you, I hope you figure this out. You shouldn't doubt it. When you were at your worst, God loved you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Shouldn't that kill your doubts? Shouldn't that give you confidence for the future? So verse 2 says, You have obtained access by faith into His grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. When were you loved to get such access to God's throne room? When did you get your privilege as a child of God? While you were still a sinner. Christ died for you. And now, think about that. Is there a secret sin? A hidden sin? Something that you'd prefer to keep in darkness that would keep God away? Is there something in your life that could potentially keep God away from you? That would stop God from hearing your prayers? If God so loved you while you were a sinner, doesn't that mean you now have a special privileged status? You get to come into the presence of God. Nothing can keep you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You might hear voices say you don't deserve to be God's child. Is there any accusation that Satan can throw at you that will stick? While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. So the love of God changes you. You can't get used to it. It produces endurance and hope and character and joy. A happiness that lasts. A happiness that survives suffering. Persecution and loneliness and temptation and hurt can't separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know your heavenly Father. You know He loved you first. While you were ignoring Him. Sinner, while you are dishonoring Him. Sinner, while you were hating Him. You know what your Father is doing? coming near you. Remember the prodigal son. Remember the older brother. He's the one approaching you first. Calling you back. This is his love for you. It doesn't go up and down. It's not like those friends that you have on Snapchat. This is true committed love. We have a word for that. Covenant. The committed love of God. So here is love, the height and the width and the depth of God's love. Think of it. While you were a sinner, God could have shrugged you off. Did He? Or was He pursuing you? 
and calling you and drawing you near. Isn't he doing that right now? Calling you close. Come to my table. Sit with me. Dine with me. I love you in Jesus Christ. Amen.